believe that you are still the miracle working God. We still believe, Lord, that you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. You are the promise keeper. And right now, God, I pray that everyone that comes up underneath the sound of my voice, Lord, for every need that is there, God, that you would meet it. Lord, there are some, Lord God, that they are in desperation for you right now. God, they're at the point to where if you don't perform that miracle, they don't know what else they're going to do. God, right now, Lord, we're asking that you move upon their behalf, Lord. For those that are sick in their body, God, they are in need of a miracle, Lord. You are still the healer tonight, God. And we're asking, Lord, for you to heal each and every single one of them right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we take authority over cancers. Lord, we take authority over migraines. Lord, we take authority over every illness and sickness, Lord, that is that plague the bodies of your children, Father. God, for this disease and sickness that is across this world right now, Lord, we're asking that you heal every person. Well, many would say there's so many, but God, at one word, Lord, one word spoken by you, Lord, and each and every one can be healed, God. Lord, we believe you, Lord, for the miracles, Lord God, that we know that you can do, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, you touch every person, Lord God, and meet the need in their heart and in their life, Lord, and let us not fail to give you praise for it all. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Amen. Well, we're so happy to have you tonight joining us again uh, via Facebook, via Facebook Live on the internet. And uh, we are just so honored that you would take time out of your schedule uh, to join in with us in service. I was talking to Stacy on the way home uh, this morning. And uh, she was saying that something that I said reminded her of what her brother has sang about one time. And when it comes to worship and praise and when it comes to being in the presence of the Lord, all we need is an audience of one. All we need, all you need is an audience of one. If it takes having a whole big crowd of people in church to get people to praise the Lord and worship the Lord, then they need to get, uh, get their fixed. They need to get things right because all I need is me and the Lord. And the way you see me in here is the way I am when I am private. Before, your public worship will never exceed your private worship. So again, we just uh, worship the Lord, praise the Lord, seek His presence because let me tell you, you can enter into His presence 24 hours, 7 days a week. Amen. I'm so glad that He's not bound by these four walls, but that when we leave, we can take His presence with us. Amen. To tonight in the book of Galatians the book of Galatians and as I said to our viewers online this morning if you happen to see me not looking directly into camera it is because I will be looking at some of our praise team and our musicians uh, that are here as well but again we are so thankful that you are here and checking in and uh, viewing with us tonight so Galatians chapter 2 so if you're there say amen and we will start with verse 16. And the Bible says, Paul would be in the writer of the book of Galatians, saying, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of Paul, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Again, Paul being the writer here to Galatians, to the church of Galatia, and reestablishing the doctrine of justification by faith. But here in this particular verse that I want to hone in on tonight in verse 20 is the title of my message, Yet Not I. Yet Not I. Bow your heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight in the strong and mighty name of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, again, we are so privileged and honored, Lord, to be able to bask in your presence. Lord, we feel and sense the Spirit of the Lord that is here, and we sense and feel your presence, God. And we believe and trust, Lord, that those that are watching by Facebook, those that will watch by Facebook, Lord, will sense and feel the same presence of Spirit that we feel here. 
Lord, we ask that tonight you would anoint us one more time, Lord, giving you thanks for this morning and the message that was brought forth, Lord. But tonight, God, we're here again to minister your word. And Lord, we solely rely upon you. We solely depend upon you to help us, Lord, to deliver this word. We don't rely upon our own strength, Lord. We don't rely upon our own intellect, Lord, but we're relying upon the anointing the Holy Spirit, God. Lord, without the anointing, we are nothing, Lord. And so, God, I pray, anoint every word that speaks, Lord, for from my mouth. Anoint the hearts and the ears of those that will hear this message, Lord. And God, I pray that, again, we be encouraged when we leave here tonight. And forever we will give you praise for it all. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Yet not I. This life of Christianity that we live, this life of living for the Lord, it's a wonderful life, but the hardest problem that you and I will ever face, the biggest enemy that you and I will ever face is not our neighbor. It's not uh, the person who has persecuted us, but the greatest enemy that we will ever have is ourselves. I have often said before, if you want to know what your greatest problem is, go look in the mirror. Because we are our own worst enemy. We are our own uh, worst problem like that. And we don't need to worry so much and focus upon others and what they're doing because there's a whole lot right here that I can focus on. There's a, you've got enough to focus on within yourself by, by looking strictly to yourself. So Paul would write this epistle to the church of Galatia to simply reinstate the foundation of the doctrine of justification by faith. And this is not going to be the gist of my message, but if you have joined in with us on our Wednesday night Bible studies, and we've had two, I felt the Lord in prompting me uh, to begin the series of justification by faith before ever going over into sanctification by faith. And I will tell you that it seems like a, a, this doctrine, well, everybody knows about it, but I can tell you that not everybody does know about it. And it is a doctrine that needs to be preached because it's so important. It is so vital to our Christian wall. We have nothing without Jesus Christ. We are justified tonight, not because of anything that we do or not because of what we don't do, but simply because of Christ's redemptive work on Calvary. That is why I stand here today behind the pulpit, not because I'm anything special, not because of any accolades that I have acquired, but simply because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You that are here in the sanctuary, you that are watching by Facebook, that are saved, you are what you are because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So Paul here was reinstating this foundation because many false teachers had swindled their way in, these Judaizers, if you will, and they were trying to distort and pervert uh, the doctrine of justification by faith and saying that grace is not enough. And let me tell you, this right here is existing today. The same problem that Paul faced then is the same problem that exists within the church today. People will say, yes, it's by the blood that one gets saved, but they don't believe that faith in what he's done is all you have to exhibit to stay saved. They want to say that you've got to perform a series of works. Unfortunately, many denominations believe that and they have bylaws and thinking that you must keep X, Y, and Z, 1 through 10, all of these bullet points, if you will, in order to be able to say saved or even in order to be able to be a member of that particular denomination. But let me tell you, if the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that is a requirement for me to get into the kingdom of heaven, it should be the only requirement to be able to be a member of a local body. It's only the blood of Jesus and nothing else, okay? So again, the, uh, they were saying that grace is good, but you also have to add law to maintain a good standing or right relationship with God. Now, I want to give you a couple statistics. According to the Barna Group, and anybody that wants to know what the Barna Group is, it is a Christian polling firm who, who polls those of the Christian faith with questions. They ask certain questions. Sometimes it is the things that is going on, but they told a, a, a bunch of Christians that claim to, to be saved, and they asked them simply the question, why are you saved today? Why are you saved? And of course, the answer that was given forth, as any true child of God will be, because of blood of Jesus Christ, because I have repented of my sins. Well, then they asked them, well, how do you stay saved? 
Because, see, that's the great question. That's the great debate amongst many of the churches, amongst the church today. I believe that we all truly agree that the only way to salvation, talking about the true church, is by faith and grace, by believing in Christ and what he's done. But when we start asking the question, how does one stay saved, there's where the big divide comes in. There's where the debate comes in. I promise you. Just go out and you will, you will find it. And 70% of people, and hear me, 70% of the people that they were polled said that the reason how they stay saved is because of what they do. They believed that. They accepted the Lord. They loved the Lord. They're living for the Lord. But they felt that the maintenance of their salvation the, the, was, was solely placed upon them. And they felt that the reason why they're still saved today. Yes, I got saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But the reason why I'm still saved today is because of the things that I do. Because I pray, because I read my Bible, because I pay my tithes, because I witness, their faith is within those things and not solely resting in Christ and what he's done. And I promise that there is a lot more out there within the church who has this mindset than we realize. And that is why Paul here was reestablishing this faith because they, he had came in, he had preached to them and told them that it is not by works that one man is saved. It's not by works that one stays saved. He goes on even into chapter 3, calls on foolish Galatians, answer me this one question, was you saved by works or was you saved by the Spirit? Well, if works didn't save you, what makes you think that works is going to keep you saved? Works cannot keep you saved. I don't care how many good works that you do. And yes, they should be exhibited in the life of a born-again believer. But those works, those good Christian disciplines that should be evident and should be the earmarks of our life is not what keeps me saved. It is the blood of Jesus Christ and my faith anchored in Christ and what He's done that keeps me in Him. There, there's the two words. There's the key in Christ, in him but we got too many believers that are trying to live outside of him for him you can't live for him the way you should unless you're in him he is the vine we are the prince apart from him we cannot do one thing i was thinking about this the other day that salvation we we've heard it is is 100 god but i mean it is totally 100 god you couldn't even believe him without him giving you the measure of faith to believe him we play no part of this salvation whatsoever. He gave you the faith to turn around and now exhibit it in him of who he is. He plays all, he is 100% of our salvation, amen? So just what we, are we clear what justification is, in order to be justified with God, to be brought in right standing with him, one must live up to his standards. But you and I know that as sinners, and all have fallen short of the glory of God, none can live up to the standard of God. He is holy and he is righteous, okay? But because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, he gave his son, who kept the law perfect, who kept it in totality, now with your faith in Christ and what he has done, you are now brought into right relationship with the Lord. And you are able to stay in right relationship with the Lord. Hear me, when God looks at you, he don't see you for who you really are, but he sees the blood of his son Jesus. And you better be glad about that tonight that he sees the blood. Because if he's seen us and all of our faults and failures, even those bad ideas that run through our mind or this or that, we wouldn't stand a chance. But it, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and as he told the children of Israel, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Amen. Romans 3.20, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So hear me tonight, the law won't get you saved. And if we establish that, that the law won't get you saved, then what makes us think that the law will keep us saved? The law does not keep us saved. Christ did not save us and now say, I'm going to give you supernatural strength to keep the law and say, you don't have to have me anymore. You can now do this on your own. God left the indwelling of the sin nature within us for discipline measures to keep us leaning upon Him. If He gave us that supernatural power to be able to do it within ourselves, well, number one, what did Christ come down here to die for? But number two, we would not be depending upon Him. We would be glorying within flesh and not giving no glory unto Him. We just sang the song 
God. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. You deserve the praise. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. Let me tell you, that name is holy. And the reason why we lift our hands unto him is because he deserves all of the glory. He deserves all of the honor. He deserves all of the praise. And he's the only one that deserves all of the glory. He's the only one that deserves all the honor and all the praise. Because of what he did 2,000 years ago, it still has present effects today. And because of what he's done, one day soon you and I are going to leave this old sinful world. And we're going to walk on into the portals of glory. Because of what he's done, you and I can have abiding peace within our heart and life in the midst of this chaos that is going on in this world. But yet you and I can walk around with no fear whatsoever because we know in whom we have believed. And he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That only comes from him. Amen. So the law shows me that I'm a sinner and now shows me that I am in need of a savior. So that's what the law did. The law was showing me that I'm a sinner, shows me that I'm in need of a Savior. So then I'm pointed to the one who came, who kept the law in totality, the man Christ Jesus. So now I look to this man, I look to him only, the one who kept it, and as we say unto him, Lord, I need your help, I need your mercy, I need you to plead my case because you are my only See, the Holy Spirit is the one who wooed your heart to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who drew your heart to Christ. And once he drew you to Christ, once he showed you you're a sinner and showed you the Savior, now he's there to do the maintenance of our Christian walk. See, we want to do our own maintenance. We want to clean up our own mess. We want to... Because we think we know better and we think that we possess the power to be able to do it. We don't possess the power to save ourselves, but yet we think we possess the power to clean ourselves up. And you can't. If righteousness come by the law in this last verse, then Christ has died in vain. You can't do it. You can't save yourself and you can't clean yourself up. So all of the power of the Holy Spirit is there to do the work in your heart and life. And He is the one who keeps you. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit the day that you said yes to Jesus Christ. You are now justified. Hear me, when you're justified, it is, you are looked at by God as if you had never sinned a day in your life. You are not just not guilty, because to be not guilty means charges have been brought against you, but there just wasn't enough evidence to convict you. You were still charges that were there, but yet you wasn't enough evidence to convict you. But innocent means that there's been no charges brought against you. That's why he said he, we, we preached he paid for past, present, and future sins. What he did in the past has taken away my sins today and has taken away my sin tomorrow. Because of what he did at Calvary, I'm innocent. I've never sinned a day of, in my life in the eyes of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you're in Christ. You're in the one who never sinned. That's how we can say that. What do you mean God can look at me like I've never sinned before? Because you're in Christ. Christ never sinned. Christ was perfect. So when you're in Christ and you're baptized into Christ, you've got his perfect birth. You've got his perfect life. You've got his perfect death. You've got his resurrection. That's why he can look at you and I and see no guilt at all. But perfect, holy righteousness. Amen. So again, Galatians 2.16 lets us know that by works no man can be justified. And let me tell you, what he was speaking of in this time was it was mainly the law of Moses that they were trying to bring in. And not so much do we try to keep the law of Moses anymore. All these man-made laws that we brought in. And man would dictate to you what laws that you must keep. It baffles me at the laws that man can resurrect up. In fact, in the time of Jesus when he was here, there was over some 3,000 laws that had been added, which was absolutely ludicrous. But that's the depravity of man's heart. And you will never live up to man's expectation. But thank God I ain't got to live up to their standard. I live by faith of the standard of the one that he sent. And his name is Jesus. That's who I live by. Amen. You see many have been taught that justification relationship with Christ. 
is lost when a failure takes place. And I know I hit on it this morning, but I know that this, again, this needs to be reestablished within the church. And if that was the case, that relationship with Christ was lost when one failed, then nobody would be saved. You don't kick your children out when they mess up. You love them. There's chastisement that's there, but you don't kick them out when they mess up. When there's relationship there, there is covenant. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're going to play the role of a bonehead. We all are going to mess up from time to time. We are. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But God knows the frame from which we come. He knows that we're of the sin nature. But thanks be to God again, He sees the blood of His Son Jesus. Let me tell you, when the whole world walks away, He's a God who will stay. He's a God who will stay for you when everybody turns their back on you, when your families turn their back on you, when the people at your work turn their back on you, and you feel all alone. Let me tell you, He's a God that will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what accompanies justification. You wanted to know what the attributes and the benefits are? There's so many that they can't even be counted. But one of the greatest is the fact that he will never leave you nor forsake you even when you mess up. And thanks be to God for that. Praise be to God. That's the love of the Father. That even when I mess up, even when I fall down, He doesn't say, I'm done with you. You've done this again and again. I'm sick and tired of it. He says, oh, oh, let me pick you up, my child. Let's get started again. Don't you give up. I have prayed for you. Keep the faith. Keep believing me and keep marching forward. Hallelujah. That right there is enough to make somebody want to shout on a Sunday night. Amen. Because he don't let us go. So to preach such is uh, that salvation and relationship is lost at failure is again to say that the blood of Jesus Christ was not enough and didn't take away all sin. Either the blood of Jesus Christ took away all sin or it didn't. We can't pick and choose. And much of the church, they see one fail, wants to say, well, this, we forgive this, but this right here, there's just no way. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Either the blood of Jesus Christ took it all away, or it did. and if we don't stand by that and believe on it, then again, you and I, we don't have a chance, amen? But a justified person is going to become a sanctified person because of the indwelling of the new nature that was given to them at regeneration. See, at regeneration, that born-again experience, you got saved, you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. And the day that you got saved, the divine nature, what is the divine nature? God himself, his nature, was implanted into you. So where it was absent before, all that ruled and reigned in you was that sin nature, and you had to obey its commands. It was the one who was the king upon the throne, now has been kicked off the throne. A new sheriff has come in town. It's the Holy Ghost that one receives when, when one accepts Jesus Christ, has come in, brought in the nature of God, and now all of a sudden when you got saved, you're like, wait a minute, what happened? A miracle is what took place. A transformation is what took place. All of a sudden you notice you don't talk the way you used to talk. You don't walk the way you used to walk. You don't go to places you used to go. The desires of your heart has changed. That ain't you, my brother and sister, that's doing that. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of you. God, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Blood-bought child of God. Amen. You see, failure agitates the Holy Spirit and will always nudge you to let you know you're wrong. That's what conviction is. When we mess up, he'll nudge you. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You know, sort of like, man, your wife does when you've messed up. Mm. I've been elbowed a couple of times. <laughs> but says, hey, that's not right. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit leaves. He nudges you, that's wrong, that's wrong. And thank God there's, there's grace that is there for our sin and all we have to do is confess our sin. First John 1 and 9 says that He is faithful and just to cleanse from all unrighteousness and to forgive us of all of our sins. Amen? So the church is good at telling the world they cannot work their way to heaven, but then we will tell the church they have to perform works to maintain their salvation. It's oxymoronic. It does not make sense. We'll look at people and we'll say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus said, I am 
way, the truth, and the life. Unless you go through Jesus Christ, unless you deny yourself and get to Him, you're never going to get to the Father. There's no way you can do it. And then we'll turn right around and look at the child of God and say, all right, now I'm going to give you a list of rules and regulations that you've got to follow by this in order to stay saved. And it's no wonder that many started out and many has lost their way. One be I being a product of that when I was younger because I started out with Jesus. I loved him with everything within me. Now I began this journey of Christianity and now I'm getting sandblasted with all these things I gotta do. And because I can't do it and won't never be able to do it, I found myself in that miserable state of constant failure, placing myself up underneath condemnation and finally throwing my hands up and saying, I can't do this more I'm done I was done with church I was done with this whole thing because it was not given to me the way that it should have been I didn't view the love of the father all I seen was a wrathful God all I thought was that I was hanging over hell with the rotten sting and that at one false move he was going to drop me off and I'm done forever that's not our father that's not the love of the father amen so again, the maintenance of your Christian experience is carried out the same way the born-again experience took place, and it's faith and grace. It's been faith and grace that brought you in. Paul repeatedly said this again and again to the church of Ephesus. Grace, through faith, you are saved. By grace, why did he have to repeat it? Because let me tell you, we tend to forget it. We tend to forget that it was grace that saved us, and it's grace... That what keeps us, amen? So again, we cannot in any shape, form, or fashion achieve God's favor, receiving anything from Him through the means of our own doings or sanctifying ourselves. And again, why do I say this again and again and again? Because you need to hear it again and again and again. In fact, you need to be reminding yourself each and every single day, thank you, Lord, for what you did at Calvary. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you. For always being there for me and for not having mercy upon me and not giving to me those things that I do deserve. See, that's what mercy is. Not giving to you, not allowing the things to come to you that you deserve, which is wrath, which is judgment, which is hell, and yet giving to you those things that you don't deserve. And again, He don't give it to you. He's extending it to His beloved Son. And because you are in Him, you can now be a recipient of that grace. Amen. So when failure does take place in the life of a believer, not if but when, again, the Christian who is justified by faith that tries to rectify or rid themselves of such problems through works, Paul here says, you have just made yourself a transgressor. Think about that. You've just made yourself a transgressor. If I seek to try to justify myself through the law, I make myself a transgressor again because I have stepped out of the flow of grace because I'm not keeping my faith 100% totally anchored in Christ and what He's done. I place myself right back into bondage and said I've made myself a transgressor. That is why with the terminology that we speak of, of spiritual adultery, there are many that are in spiritual adultery today. They're married to Christ, but they're looking to the law for strength, for help. And the law can't give it to you. We are to lean totally upon Christ and what He's done. And when we get there, it's time to sit down and rest. See, there's a lot of Christians that's never come to rest. They've never truly come to rest in Christ Jesus. Get around them sometimes and you'll figure it out real quick. Because they're always placing themselves, many of them, up underneath condemnation. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And they can't even enjoy their salvation. God forbid we smile or we laugh. People, <gasps> the, joy of the, the joy of the Lord is my salvation. Amen. There's nothing wrong with laughing. There's nothing wrong with smiling. Amen. So the activity of what man does reveals the object of their faith. Hear me. The activity of what man does reveals the object of their faith. So if they seek to justify themselves by law, if they try to rid themselves of a problem by works, then that's, that's revealing the activity of their faith, meaning their faith is solely anchored in Christ and what he's done, but their faith is resting within themselves and their own performance. 
That's what the message of the cross is all about. You want to know if you really truly got a grasp on this? Anybody could just point out and blabber out the, uh, the points of it and, and say all of the right things and dot every I and cross every T. It's not about the memorization of it. It's how are you living by it? Are you applying it to your heart and life? Because that's wisdom, the application of what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, that faith is to be anchored in Christ and to stay anchored in Christ and what He's done exclusively. See, the church don't have a problem with you saying you better keep your faith in Christ, but they want you to also say, but it better also be in this as well. They cannot simply cut off that law. You know why? Because they won't deny themselves. They simply won't deny themselves in thinking that they play no part in this whatsoever. But you have got to deny yourself, take up the cross, take up what Christ has done for you, rest in it, and deny yourself and follow him daily. Daily. Each and every single day. You go one day without leaning upon Christ and what he's done. And that old religious mindset will rear its ugly head again. Because somehow you will think, I've got this. Or I can do this. But until we live a crucified life, you're never going to know what a resurrected life is. Amen? So again, you and I have not been called to do this on our own. We're not called to try and to defeat anything but except to fight the good fight of faith. Amen. So many Christians need to break up with the law. It's toxic and will not produce anything good. How can you enjoy the rest that Christ came to give if you're constantly trying to work? And I've said it before. If you're working, the Holy Spirit is resting. And when you learn to come to rest, then the Holy Spirit can go to work. You and him both can't be working at the same time. Before in the Bible study group that I uh, teach at the other church like that. And I envision there as, as one who has purchased a house, paid in full, it's been totally paid for, it's yours, the title deed is there. And yet you walk through the doors, it's yours, it's all there, but yet there's all this remodeling work that needs to be done. There's a whole lot of junk that needs to be cleaned out. And what do we want to do? This is apropos to our salvation, our born-again experience. We want to pull up the sleeves and we want to get to work. And we want to try to clean out the cobwebs. We want to try to sweep up ouch we want to do all of these things repair the floor and i'm spiritually speaking here and he didn't call us to do that he said come on into the house sit down and watch me work let me be the remodeler let me be the contractor see the holy spirit's the contractor amen and he will go back and then you will sit back because you're resting in christ and what he's done now as you would sit there i'm envisioning i'm watching a person repairing doing all of this work i'm not lifting a finger whatsoever and that's the way it is in our salvation experience. The Holy Spirit is coming in and He's doing all the work. And that's how you can sit back and say, my gosh, He's taking this away from me. He's taking that away from me. I've not done a thing. But each and every single day, if you don't stay set down and you get back up, then the Holy Spirit's going to sit down. And then all of a sudden, we begin to undo what He has done. And then we will find ourselves making a bigger mess. And then when we finally sit back down, the Holy Spirit gets up there again full of grace and mercy and has to clean up our mess. Stay seated. Sit down. As the old saying used to be, take your shoes off and stay a while. Kick back and relax and rest in Him and what He's done and allow the benefits of Calvary to flow into your heart and into your life. Amen. But when one is dead to the law... The, the one, uh, when one is dead to the law, then one can now live unto God. You see, we can't serve two masters. And we'll say that, and many people will think it would say, here we hear mammon and God, and a lot of people will think it's the devil. That's absolutely right. But at the same time, you can't serve self and God too. You can't live unto yourself and live unto Him too. You've got to be dead to the law in order to be able to live unto God. Okay? Luke 9, 23, I just said it. And He said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I just said it. Until you have a crucified life, which is what Paul said in verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. And let me tell you, that is the greatest statement that one could ever say. I am crucified with Christ. I have been baptized at his death. I've been buried with him. That old man is dead, and thanks be to God, he ain't coming back. 
He's dead. He's in the graveyard. He's in that tomb. So you need to quit banging around the graveyard. Get away from there. That old man's dead. It's gone. And now a new person has come forth. Amen? So victory, our victory, doesn't come from a shout. Pentecostal just as much as anybody else. And I love to shout, and we should shout. We should lift praises unto the Lord. But unfortunately, many Christians especially of the Pentecostal faith, thought if I'll just shout a little bit louder, I'll get my victory. Your victory is not in how loud your shout is. Your victory is not in anything that you do. Your victory is in what Christ did 2,000 years ago. That's where your victory was won. Do you hear me? That's where your victory was won. It was accomplished there. Quit trying to obtain something that's already been purchased and just receive it. Everywhere in the Bible that you see, especially with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they say, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive. Receive. Just receive. You need victory. Receive your victory. You need joy. Receive your joy. I'm torn all to pieces. I need peace. Receive your peace. Everything that you need has already been purchased. It's already been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So now, just receive. Just simply receive. Receive, amen. So no greater words have ever been uttered than I am crucified with Christ. To have this testimony is the greatest testimony. And you say, I am dead. Now think about it. Somebody asks you about just say, I'm dead. And they'll look at you right weird. That old person is dead. This is a new person that you're looking for. I'm 35 years old in the physical but in Jesus Christ, I'm nine years old. Amen. Because I was reborn. That old person has died and a new person has come forward. But it's in Christ Jesus. Amen. So when you accept a job, and I've used this analogy before, a position with the company, most positions in most companies always have a benefit package. And when you accept that position, a lot of the benefits, whether it be free insurance, whether it be 401k, paid these things are now given to you because you have accepted the position. And because you've accepted the position, you get to, uh, you get to uh, have these benefits and, and you're afforded them until you don't have to work for them. It's just because you simply accepted the position. In Christ, because we have accepted Him, we now have the benefits of what He's done at Calvary. Now, I just left a job after 20 years. The Lord led us out of there and we have and we are so fortunate to be able to be full-time. And I had benefits with that job. But guess what? When I left the job, guess what else went with it? Every benefit. There was no more benefits. I cannot have the benefits of that position. Why? Because I'm no longer with that company. The moment you step outside of Christ and you quit looking to Him, you're taking out of that flow of grace to be able to receive the benefits that he has for you. That's why we've got to stay in Christ so that you can receive the full benefit package that is greater than any job that the world could ever give you. There's no greater benefits than by being in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we're not afforded that which he has died for until we accept Christ as our personal Savior, amen. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now hear me when it says in Christ. To be in Christ denotes a more tender and close union and implies that all support is from him. That is why now we can say I can partake of his fullness. I can now share in his glory. I can now partake of his strength. Why? Because I am in Christ. In Christ. John 15, 5. You are the branches. He that abideth in me and in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Let me tell you something. A branch will never produce the fruit detached from the vine. I visited my mom last summer, Stacy and I and the baby, and she had this huge pear tree out there, and it was just over, just the fruit that was there. It was so much pears there that it was literally hitting the ground and dry. And I looked at that, and I thought, my God, let that be me in you. Let there be so much fruit coming forth that I'm just hanging over. That's the way that I want to be. That's the way that we should be. But guess what? When some of the branches got cut off, the pears died. 
There wasn't no pears coming out of that branch because the branch had just been disconnected from the source of where the nutrients were, which was in the, 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 the trunk, the, the vine, if you will. So when we separate ourselves from the vine, then there's no more fruit of the Holy Spirit being developed in our life because you've just detached yourself from the power source. Amen? So Paul here is saying, I'm dead, but I'm living. How in the world can that be? How can I be dead but yet still live? Because it's impossible. Because the last time I checked, a person, when they're dead and they're pronounced dead, they're not living. They're dead. Dead is dead. They're gone. But he's saying, I am dead. That old person's dead. But now I am living, but yet not I. It's not me that's living here, folks. It's Christ Jesus who's living inside of me. This life that you now see, this person that you see before you, all of these changes that you see, wait, let me tell you, it ain't me. I'm dead. It's Christ that's living inside of me. And because I'm allowing Him to live inside of me, He can now live through me. This is what you're seeing. The fruit of the Spirit. You're seeing Christ living in me, amen? So it, we have to let him live. But to do this, it requires your cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And here's where the problem is with many Christians. They won't cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The legal work for the Holy Spirit to come and abide in us and also to work in us is with our faith maintained in Christ and what he's done. The moment that you take your faith outside of that, then you're not cooperating with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now can't do what He wants to do. So we've got to cooperate with Him. Well, well how does that cooperation come about? By staying in Christ. By anchoring your faith. And I mean anchoring it only in Christ. Not in Christ and, and your works. Not in Christ and in yourself. But strictly solely in Christ and denying yourself. So when Paul said, yet not I, he presented a life that was no longer self-centered, but a Christ-centered one. Hear me, outside of Christ, it's a self-centered life. But in Christ, you have a Christ-centered one. So this new life that is no longer like the former one, dependent upon the efforts of man draw closer to God through his own righteousness but now it's through the person within a person living out his life in that person so you've got now the, the, the life of Christ being lived in you and being lived out through you through the power of the Holy Spirit so Paul knew the life he lived was through the grace of God and not himself and we got to be reminded of this. This life that we're living is not through any efforts of our own. But it's because of the grace of God. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. So my question is tonight, us ascending in the sanctuary, to you that are watching online, who's living your Christian life? Who's living it? Because I can tell you that the majority of people, sadly to say, they're trying to live their Christian life instead of allowing Christ to live it through you. And before He can live through you, before He can operate through us, He wants to first live inside of us. So we got to allow Him to live inside of us so that now He can live through us. But in order for that to happen, again, there has to be a denial of self. So you have to yield your life to Him so that He can live through you to bring forth much glory and honor unto Him. See, Paul wanted this so bad because of a familiar passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 3 and 10. Paul said that I may know Him. His desire was to know Him more because He was in Christ and as He kept His faith anchored in Christ and as He kept walking with Him, the Holy Spirit was revealing more of Christ to Him day in and day out. And His desire, which should be the desire of each and every single one of us, is to know Him better, to know Him more and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. I want to know more each and every single day about what Christ did for me at Calvary. A lot of people would say, well, we know that he died for me. We know what Jesus did at the cross. Let me tell you, no man can know it all about what Christ did for us at the cross. It's more than just salvation. He bought back everything that was lost at the fall of Adam. Everything that was lost in the Garden of Eden, the disobedience of man, 
Christ won back at Calvary with his precious blood. That means now that healing can be mine because there it was, they had it all. It was lost there. Sickness entered into the world. But thanks be to God, Christ died and now we believe that healing is in the atonement. Everything that was lost, and I mean everything, was won back at Calvary. So this new life that I am living, I'm not living by works or law. I'm living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So now not only am I saved, but I can experience the fullness of the work of Calvary. You see, when I fail to do this, then I'm frustrating the grace of God. That's what Paul was talking about in verse 21. It's not me because if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Us, those that are within the church, that love the Lord with everything within them, they're trying to gain righteousness, victory, whatever, by the means of law. And when we do that, we have just frustrated the grace of God. You think about frustration. When you get frustrated with your kids, when you get frustrated at work or whatever, you just get so aggravated and you get especially aggravated when you're trying to tell your child something over and over and over and they don't listen and you're thinking, if you would just listen to me in the first place, you wouldn't have these problems and you can get frustrated because they won't cooperate with you. And you're just like, if they would but just listen, things will go a whole lot better. The Holy Spirit is saying, listen to me. The Lord has said, listen to me. And we are frustrating the Holy Spirit by not staying in Christ, by not looking strictly to Him, and by trying to do this life on our own. I don't want to frustrate the grace of God. I don't know about you, but I need His grace. I need His grace to operate in my heart and life to the fullest extent each and every single day. But the moment that I take my eyes off of him and what he's done, I've just frustrated the grace of God. So if righteousness could be obtained or maintained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. As I close, I mention this. I heard someone talk about this a long time ago. And they said that when they thought about the sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament and the Hopefully you've read in the Old Testament and you will see that they would offer up rams and they would offer up different types of animals, whether it be turtle doves, rams, bulls, goats, all of this stuff, every animal you could about think of. No doubt in my mind, each and every single animal would struggle. They would fight. They would have to wrestle them down to the ground because they maybe didn't know what was going on, but they liked to be locked down. But there was always one animal, and there is one, that no matter how resistant the other ones have been, there was one that would go willingly. That animal was the sheep. Isaiah 53, verse 2 through 8 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it was our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was wounded our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed verse 6 as we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all verse 7 and he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb So he opened not his mouth. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his transgression? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he strict. The sheep there, Christ, there it is as a type, was yielded his life for you and for me. He was as a lamb led to the slaughter. He willingly laid down his life for you and me. He yielded his life for you and I. 
What if he had not yielded his life to the Father? What if he had not yielded to the Father's will? Where would that leave you and I tonight? If he could yield to the will of the Father, should that not mean that you and I should be yielding to the will of the Father? And the will of the Father is, is us placing our faith only in Christ and what he's done. By submitting our lives unto him, laying it all down and saying, Lord, my faith is in you and you alone. You see, he has set the example before us at Calvary when he yielded to the will of the Father. So my question is tonight, will you yield to him today and say, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Yet not I. I don't want to live this life, Lord. I want you to live in me and through me. Amen. Stand to your feet. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we are no longer alive, but Lord, we have been crucified with you. Lord, we are so thankful tonight, Lord, that you have taken away all of our sin, Lord, and that, God, tonight we can have abundant life in you, Lord. God, I want to have abundant life. You died to give it. You said I've come to give you life and more and life more abundantly. And, Lord, we just got the first fruits of all that you've got. But, Lord, that's more than enough, Lord, to experience your fullness, to experience your grace, to have an abundant life. So, God, my prayer is tonight, Lord, of us that are here in the sanctuary and those that are watching by the way of Internet, God, let us deny ourselves, Lord. Lord, forgive us, Lord, for ever trying to live this life, Lord, for ever trying to live this Christian life you've called us to live, Lord. And, God, help us, Lord, to return to the rest. Lord, help us to return to Calvary. Lord, help us to keep our faith anchored in you and you alone, Lord God. And now to allow you to live in us, Lord, to the fullest extent that you would desire, Lord. God, let us lay aside works. Let us lay aside law. Lord, let us not frustrate the grace of God, Lord. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives now more than ever before, God. And Lord, we can have it by looking strictly to you and what you've done. Lord, we honor you and we praise you, Lord, for it all. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen and amen. We thank you for tuning in with us tonight uh, live via the Facebook. And we want to encourage you to be back with us on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. We will continue on our Bible study. It will not take place here within the sanctuary. We will do it in another location. But we want you to join in with us and, and, and learn God's word. And again, keep this nation, keep this country in your prayers. Let me tell you something. Really, this shouldn't be just a matter of an everyday thing. This should be an hour by hour. We need to be lifting this up before the Lord because, again, there's power in prayer. And if we would come together in unity and believe God to turn the situation around, I truly believe that He will do it. Amen. So let's keep our government officials uh, and our leadership. Let's keep them in prayer. Let's keep the medical scientists in prayer that they would get a vaccine to get rid of this thing, amen, and keep those that are suffering from this sickness in prayer.